Welcome to Kidney Essentials, a podcast for medical students, residents, and advanced practitioners at the University of Colorado and beyond. We have a guest host today. Manny, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hey, everybody. My name is Manny. I'm one of one of the recent graduates from the internal medicine program here at the University of Colorado and an aspiring nephrologist. Very excited to be here. And a chief resident. Woo woo. Chief in house. <laughs> so if uh, Sophie misbehaves, he'll get her in line. That sounds oh. right. <laughs> <laughs> I think he still has to come see us in clinic on occasion. So other way around. Hey, Manny, are you on Twitter? I I pull a Dr. Blaine. I do have a Twitter. I don't tweet, but I like to follow some good nephrology pages. Um, but I'm at Manny Yura. Hey, okay. you're not pulling a Blaine. Blaney doesn't. She doesn't touch it. So oh, she just has one. Yeah, you're a lurker. I'm a lurker. She's, this is true. She's absentee. <laughs> All right, Sophie. Do you need an introduction, Sophie? Well, I hope so. I'm Sophia Ambrusso. I am. Um, a nephrologist. I am based out of the Denver VA and on faculty at the University of Colorado. And I tweet at Sophia underscore kidney and I have no conflicts of interest. Manny, do you have any conflicts of interest? I do not have any conflict of interest. You don't own stock in ibuprofen or stuff like that? No, no, <laughs> I miss that boat. <laughs> All right. So, and I'm Sarah Young. I am a nephrologist at the University of Colorado. I practice in our Anschutz campus, and I tweet it at Kidney Critic. So a few housekeeping notes before we move on. Kidney Essentials is available on podcast, and we could really use some good reviews so that people can find us. And so if you want to tell us about our uh, mission. All right. Our mission is to make nephrology more accessible, less intimidating, provide concise nephrology pearls in each episode to help listeners understand renal pathophysiology, and to make nephrology sexy one episode at a time. That's why we have Sophie do that one part. All right. And for our legal disclaimer, Manny. So this podcast is for educational purposes only. The views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of the hosts. Excellent. So today we are going to discuss how much ibuprofen is too much ibuprofen. And I'm going to thank my father-in-law, Hal Klingsporn, for giving me this idea. We, this is also a question we get a lot of in nephrology clinic. So um, how much ibuprofen is too much ibuprofen? Well, it really depends on who you are. And when we say ibuprofen, we really mean all NSAIDs, not all non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, not just ibuprofen when we're discussing it tonight. Well, I'm just going to pipe in here really quick and tell you that I'm on a steady 600 milligrams of ibuprofen a day right now because of some pain I'm having. And I'm really hoping my beans are hanging in there. I think they're probably okay, but I think I sound like a little bit of, I mean, this is, I'm going on maybe seven to eight days. Manny, do you take ibuprofen? I, my wife gives me a lot of grief over this. It doesn't matter how sick I am or how much pain I am. I take no ibuprofen. Um, it's like this irrational fear that I have. Um, so today maybe we'll tease out if it's, a, if it's safe for me at least. Well, yeah, maybe on a future podcast, we'll discuss healthy people taking ibuprofen. <laughs> um, but today we're actually, you know, for most people, for most healthy subjects, um, it's rarely going to cause any adverse effects. But in elderly patients and patients with certain comor comorbidities, it's going to cause a lot of problems. And in approximately two and a half million people a year experience some 
major um, renally, renal complication of ibuprofen. So to focus our discussion tonight on the patient population that we're going to talk about, we'll bring up a case. And I named the case after my father-in-law since he gave me the idea for this podcast. Oh, Hal. <laughs> so Hal is a 70-year-old. I, I decreased his age a little bit, Hal. You notice that? So Hal is a 70-year-old with hypertension and heart failure who presents to your office asking if he can take ibuprofen for his degenerative joint disease in his knees and backs. Knees and back. He just has one back. He's on lisinopril, 20 milligrams a day, and Lasix, 40 twice a day. He walks his dog regularly, but this aggravates his osteoarthritis, and he really would like to take ibuprofen. Sophie, can you start us out by just telling us what ibuprofen does and how it works? Sure. So just to remind you guys, so you know this, I knew my ibuprofen stuff a lot better when I was a med student. And I get to relearn my NSAID mechanism of action for this. But anyways, ibuprofen or other non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are non-selective reversible um, inhibitors of the cyclooxygenase enzymes, both COX-1 and COX-2. Here we go, guys. It's going to get a little bit more weedy. So before we move on, I just wanted to add, Sophie, tonight we're talking about non-selective NSAIDs like ibuprofen, but the risk for adverse renal effects probably applies to both non-selective NSAIDs and COX-2 selective inhibitors. Um, COX-2 is actually also expressed in the kidney. Manny, you're a natural. I know. He like, I feel like he just schooled me. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to have him on again. <laughs> All right. Well, Manny. Absolutely. All right. So COX-1 and COX-2 catalyze the first step in the synthesis of our prostanoids. And specifically, we're referring to our prostaglandins PGE2 and PGI2, as they're the most relevant for this discussion. And then, of course, there's thromboxane A2, which is from arachidonic acid. So PGE2 and PGI2 are pro-inflammatory prostanoids that cause edema, increase vascular permeability, and promote leukocyte infiltration. I feel like this is a mouthful, but we're going to keep moving. They also reduce the threshold of nociceptor sensory neurons to stimulation. So basically, by decreasing our prostaglandin production, ibuprofen decreases inflammation and pain. So moving on, um, PGE2 is also a mediator of fevers, or also known as pyresis. And it's it's synthesized, excuse me, and it's and its synthesis is triggered. Man, the high- you gotta start that all over again. Dash, <laughs> rewind. All right. All right. <laughs> its synthesis is triggered in the hypothalamus by pyrogens such as cytokines, endotoxin, and products from activated leukocytes. So NSAIDs, in addition to decreasing inflammation and pain, also reduce fever and redu- uh, by reducing PG2 production in the hypothalamus. Great. Thank you so much for that, Sophie. Uh, Manny, any additional <laughs> actions of ibuprofen you want to add? Yeah, just a quick word on thromboxin A2. So this is another uh, product of COX-1 in platelets. And specifically, it causes vasoconstriction and promotes platelet activation and aggregation. So it can lead to thrombus formation. Interestingly, ibuprofen, uh, because of this mechanism of action, has a transient, mild antiplatelet effect through reversible inhibition of platelet-specific COX-1. 
Yeah, and so this is why we are always told to stop ibuprofen ibuprofen before a procedure, although the risk is pretty small. Um, but, you know, when you're sticking the big needle into the kidney, you don't want them on ibuprofen prior if you can avoid totally. it. <laughs> nope, we sure don't. Okay, so there are some additional mechanisms um, by which NSAIDs work that are sort of beyond the scope of this podcast because we really want to focus on the prostaglandin um, production or the reduction in prostaglandins that occurs because of the inhibition of COX-1 and COX-2. So, Manny, why do we nephrologists care about prostaglandin production and its inhibition by NSAIDs? Yeah, so I will tell you what I think nephrologists care about. Um, so, I think the inhibition of uh, production of these vasodilatory prostanoids in the kidney basically lead to unopposed vasoconstriction of the afferent renal arterioles. Um, resulting in a reduction in renal blood flow and activation of the renin-angiotensin system and fluid retention. And specifically, PGE2 regulates sodium and chloride transport in the loop of Henle and modulates water transport and renal medullary blood flow. PGI2 regulates renal vascular tone, GFR, and renin release. Interestingly, in a person with normal renal hemodynamic parameters, prostaglandins don't play a dominant physiologic role in maintaining renal blood flow and GFR, yeah, so that's why most for most of us, including you probably, Sophie, taking ibuprofen's not a big deal. But what about in our patient? Are prostaglandins important in this patient we described here on ACE inhibitors and a diuretic? Yeah, absolutely. So inhibition of prostaglandin synthesis in this patient could actually lead to renal decompensation, as this patient's at high risk for volume depletion from his Lasix, and his afferent artery may already be clamping down. Not having prostaglandins in the setting of taking NSAIDs can result in even more resistance in the afferent arterial and a decline in GFR. In addition, because this patient's also on an ACE inhibitor, the normal increase in efferent resistance to maintain GFR when blood flow to the kidney is reduced is going to be inhibited. So this is going to result in a further decline in his GFR. So Manny, basically what you're saying is a pipe leading to the glomerulus is being squeezed and then the pipe leaving the glomerulus is loose and dilated? I think so. so. Yeah, and Sophie, how many times do you think you see acute kidney injury from NSAIDs in this setting? In a week. Oh, I mean, I'm at the VA. I mean, we've got diabetics. We've got everybody on a diuretic. We've got everybody with heart failure, and almost everybody's on an ACE. Not to mention our SGLT2s. Right, which would increase your risk further. Okay, so we, to summarize, we should be extremely careful careful about the use of NSAIDs in patients on a diuretic and an ACE inhibitor, as their GFR is extremely prostaglandin production, uh, dependent. Excuse me. So what would you counsel this patient about the use of ibuprofen? I think I, I would recommend zero to minimal use of NSAIDs for this patient. Yeah, I would say um, zero to minimal if possible, as Manny said. There are times where it is a quality of life thing for patients, which is a little bit of a different setting. But basically, I'll say um, NSAIDs sparingly, at, you know, and, and try and limit it as much as possible. Yeah, I completely agree. The lowest possible dose that we can get away with. And if that's zero, that would be preferable to the kidney by all means. So let's explore some other clinical situations in which prostaglandins are really important to maintaining GFR. Sophie, can you think of another clinical scenario in which NSAIDs get patients into trouble? I mean, I would say any setting of salt depletion from any cause, uh, prostaglandins are necessary to oppose the excessive renal afferent arterial vasoconstriction. 
Yeah, another uh, patient group that I think about are patients with nephrotic syndrome. In these patients, they're hypoalbuminemic, um, which results in a decrease in their plasma oncotic pressure. This leads to uh, kind of loss of fluids into the interstitium and results in a decrease in um, effective blood volume reaching the kidney. Under normal circumstances, prostaglandins would help vasodilate the afferent arterial and maintain renal blood flow. But like we've discussed, NSAIDs block prostaglandin production, and therefore these patients' ability to maintain adequate renal blood flow would be impaired. Yeah, that's excellent. So anybody who has decreased effective arterial perfusion and def- you know, a decrease in effective renal perfusion is going to get into trouble. So another population that I think about is our elderly patients with compromised renal function. NSAIDs can cause further reductions in GFR and a reduction in urinary sodium excretion leading to um, AKI or hospitalization. I also think about this in our cirrhotic patients. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. a great patient population. They are so dependent on prostaglandins, and we see a lot of that at the university. So another population that I think is at risk are our transplant patients who are on calcineurin inhibitors. Calcineurin inhibitors include tacrolimus and cyclosporine, and one of its adverse effects is it can cause um, afferent vasoconstriction. So in the setting also of unopposed prostaglandins from from NSAIDs, these patients can also have, have decreased GFR. Yeah, that's a really important combination. NSAIDs and tacrolimus are a nightmare. And you know, we're using tacrolimus more and more in as immunosuppression for autoimmune renal disease, and so we really need to make sure those patients aren't taking NSAIDs too. Okay, so let's summarize our teaching points for tonight. So we talked about several patient populations that are particularly vulnerable to even low doses of NSAIDs because they are reliant on prostaglandins to maintain renal blood flow and GFR. And so our teaching points tonight is to be extremely careful of the use of any NSAIDs in the following patient populations. So patients on diuretics, ACE inhibitors, ARBs, and or calcineurins. Patients with nephrotic syndrome, heart failure, cirrhosis, and the elderly with CKD. The risk of NSAIDs in these patient populations is precipitating AKI. All right, I have one issue to discuss before we close this up out. Sophie, say say the word, the, the medicine that I abbreviated as CSA in this. Say that medicine. Oh, no. Cyclosporine? Cyclosporine? Who says that? Me. Cyclosporine. We're going to have to check this what out. What do you say? Cyclosporine. Cyclosporine? Oh, man. I think I say cyclosporine, too. But that oh, might my be, God! Wait, That might wait. be Dr. Bruso's fault. <laughs> <laughs> wait, hold on. I have to look at how it's spelled. <laughs> we have this constant there's, Wait, there's, there's no N, E at the end, right? Cyclosporine. Well, then why would it be N? It should be E. I don't know, but that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> we are going to go down this rabbit hole again. Did I ever right. tell you I was totally mortified when I was an intern, when I did a surgery year back in the day, and I was taught where I went to medical school, it was levofloxacin, <laughs> right? And my attending was like, well, what did you just say? And he wrote it up on the board in my <laughs> surgery room and said, and it stayed up there the entire year. Hence, I learned how to pronounce it correctly. Levofloxacin. <laughs> I still say dapaglyphosin, empaglyphosin, and canaglyphosin, and it's never going to be out of my brain. All right. 
Thank you to all of you for joining us tonight. And we are going to cover additional risks of NSAIDs in the future podcast, including the risk of CKD exacerbating hypertension and the problems with NSAIDs and glomerulate disease. So certainly come back and check those out. Thank you to Manny for joining us tonight. He was awesome. We'll have to have him back. I know there was a mic drop moment. Did you notice that when he like went off script and like blew us away? It was pretty good. good. I tried channeling uh, Judy Blaine as much as I could. I (laughs) I hope I did okay. (laughs) You did awesome. You did awesome. Um, And thank you to Dashiell Klingsporn, who's going to edit our podcast, hopefully. To Josh Strong for the graphics. And of course, the University of Colorado Division of Nephrology for giving us our jobs. And Manny, well, I guess it's the Department of Medicine for giving you your job.